This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 160, Safer and More Enjoyable Adventure Travel with Jessica Posiak. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today, we are doing a little different sort of a show. I have Jessica Posiak with us, who is going to talk to us about international travel and adventure travel and how to do it safely. She contacted us not long after the Brussels attacks took place. And she was saying, you know what, there are safe ways to travel, and it might be timely to give people practical things that they can do to travel safely and to make the trip more enjoyable. So... We're going to have that show for you in just a moment, but before we do, I wanted to throw a word out for our brand new sponsor, House of Motor Rad. This is a motorcycle rental company in Boulder, Colorado. If you've listened to the show for any period of time, you probably know that we do quite a few shows on touring around the planet on motorcycles. We've had a lot of great guests like Yolanda Rust and Alan Carl and others. Well, For a long time now, I've been wanting to try out a true adventure bike. Now, these bikes are the kind of bikes that do pretty well on the pavement, but they can also excel off-road, and it makes it possible then to travel in areas where the road conditions are going to be very variable. I just really wanted to try out one of these bikes. So, my co-host Travis and I got together, we rented some bikes from House of Motorrad in Boulder, and we spent the day yesterday just going everywhere and trying everything that we could do with these bikes. I'm telling you, it was so much fun. First, we started by going up an Interstate I-70 into the mountains, which showed what the bikes could do at interstate speeds and heavy traffic, and that was uh, pretty exciting for me. Then we got on some curvy, high-altitude mountain roads to see what the bikes would do on paved hairpins, and really enjoyed that too. Then we followed up by a segment on the dirt so we could see how the bikes would perform once they are no longer on the tarmac. Ended up trying to dodge storms for the last part of the day that were sweeping across the plains. And we finished off the day in a parking lot just practicing motorcycle skills and techniques that make us better riders. I have to tell you, it was a delightful experience. My main reason for telling you, though, is to let you know that House of Motorrad took care of us. Great people. The rental was simple. It was straightforward. They were professional and very helpful. So, House of Motorrad, thank you for a fantastic adventure day from the hosts of the Adventure Sports Podcast. Also, a special thanks needs to go out to Peter Schuster, who did a fantastic presentation at the first Adventure Sports Podcast meetup on Friday night. Peter gave us a slideshow and talked to us about thru-hiking the Continental Divide Trail. Lots of great information. We had fun. Thank you for all of you who attended. It was a great night. And for those of you who watched online, we ran into, of all things, an internet problem that cut our live stream for a little bit, and then it came back. So if you got clipped off there, we apologize. But, man, it was a fun night. Thanks, Peter, and thanks to all of you who came to the Adventure Sports Podcast Meetup.
the Adventure Sports Podcast does a lot of shows about adventure travel, and it seems that on every show, someone has an opinion about safety in developing countries and out-of-the-way places. And safety is obviously an issue when we travel. Uh, We've come to the conclusion from everyone's experiences that the world is probably a safer place than we expect. But I have Jessica Posiak with us from Wildlife and Nature Travel. Now, Jessica was on episode 146, where she describes some of her travel adventures and what her company does, which is awesome, by the way. They do so many trips all over the world doing nature safaris and also cultural safaris, very environmentally conscious, just a great company. But Jessica has taken the time to put together a list of things that we can do to enhance our travel and make it safer, and so we can still travel in uh, challenging times. Now, Jessica has actually led groups in countries multiple times where a coup took place, a coup d'etat took place while they were there. So she has some experience with this. And with the recent terrorist attacks, we thought, why not do a segment where Jessica can talk about specifically how to still travel and remain safe. So Jessica, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, so I've been thinking a lot lately with the attacks going on in Brussels about how people can stay safe. And I wanted to, you know, give people some of the lessons that I've learned uh, while out in the field. And a lot of it, you know, I think seems very obvious to some people, but it's funny the difference it can make um, when if you're not taking these things for granted. Like, for instance, setting up an emergency contact is something that we've all done at some point. But one of the things that a lot of people leave out is actually letting that person know that they're the designated person in the case of an emergency. And so, you know, kind of thinking of at some point in your life, you'll have used your birth certificate for something. And you take for granted, yes, I know I have a birth certificate. It's located somewhere in my house. But, you know, could you find it in the middle of an emergency? And more importantly... What if someone else had to find it for you? And it's kind of that same thing that happens when you're on trips. You know, I've had to call people at 3 in the morning. Um, It's not a pleasant experience as a guide. And it certainly adds a whole other level of uh, chaos and confusion when that person on the other end doesn't know that they're the person who's been designated. So, you know, it's really important before your trips, even at this point, as we've seen what's happening in Brussels, if you're going over to Europe, to make sure that you're telling your person, where you're going, um, where stuff is at home, you know, what, you know, sort of work out that emergency plan of action before you take off. So that way everyone's prepared and it can help to alleviate a lot of stress. Um, the other thing of in sort of the same vein, let's say, you know, everyone's bringing their mobile phones with them now on tours. It's, and it's amazing. You can get cell service in some of the most remote places. What a lot of people don't know is that you can actually get an international plan for your mobile that has data, talk, and text. You know, even let's say four years ago when I was in the middle of the coup d'etat in Mali, um, at the time, um, I had a sat phone, but trying to dial on a sat phone, it's, very slow. It's cumbersome. Um, it's also very expensive. And the landlines that were available in the country and the internet connections were also, um, very unreliable. And so in the end, I ended up purchasing mobile phones and SIM cards and being able to call out on that 
respect, but then I had to keep reloading these phones. So it was like I'd make a five minute call back to the United States and then I'd have to run out and buy more credit for the phone. You know, now you can get a mobile internet plan or, or plan for your uh, phone that again covers data, talk and text. And what's great about that is, you know, number one, if you have to make a phone call, you're not switching back to another phone or looking for a notebook or something where, you know, most people don't remember phone numbers anymore. We sort of take that for granted. We plug them into our phone. But, you know, if you have to make that emergency phone call, you can have it right there with you. And it's very, very reasonable. And that being said, while talking and texting on a mobile phone is usually the quickest way to get in touch with someone. There are so many apps right now, mobile apps that you can have loaded on your phone that will also help you keep in contact with people back home. Um, You know, with the recent building collapse in India, one of the things that popped up on my screen, which reminded me of this, is that Facebook is now offering, um, they have a safety check, which is a wonderful thing. So when there's a disaster like the earthquake in Nepal, or again, the flyover collapse, you can actually log right into Facebook and it'll say, um, it recognizes that you're in the area and it says three friends are in the affected area, two friends are marked safe, one friend is not marked safe, and you can actually search your friends and then you can check in saying, hey, I'm okay. And that's a really great way to put your friends and family at ease. There are other apps you can use like Instagram, there's Snapchat, there's Skype, there's also WhatsApp. Um, I just recently discovered a new one that is called, I believe, Wicker. And again, it's another way to keep in touch with people. That being said, um, you know, normally we're using these to share our experiences with people, which is wonderful. You can send photos, you can send voice messages, um, you know, so that you can share your amazing experience that you're having while you're traveling. Um, But if you're not familiar with it or you're a first-time user, you know, we want to make sure that you're practicing these apps before you actually go on your trip. Um, I know I'm totally guilty of this. I'll buy a new camera. I go on a trip and, you know, I'm super excited to get this amazing shot of a leopard leaping down into the water. Well, it never fails. It's like right at the height of the action. I don't know how to use my camera because even though I've had years of experience, there's some new setting that I didn't anticipate. And using your phone in that respect, especially in the middle of an emergency, can kind of give you that same result. It's Even though these apps are super user-friendly, if you're distracted, if something else is going on, trying to find another way to communicate with people can be extremely challenging. So, you know, go through, play with it, send people some photos, find out who your contacts are. And that's the other aspect, too, is just because you're on Facebook or you're using Snapchat or Instagram, whatever it may be, um, not necessarily everyone else is. So you want to get familiar with who is on these applications and, you know, what information are you going to be sharing with them? The other thing uh, in regards to uh, attack in Brussels and, again, the collapse in India is, you know, how, how can people find you? When we travel, we want to blend in. You know, that gives us a much richer experience. Um, You know, we can sit down with locals, have an amazing time. But again, if there's an emergency, you know, how do we stand out? Having your mobile phone on you can be useful, but... 
probably taking another step of having something that works off satellite technology. Uh, anyone who's a big skier or mountaineer is probably familiar with Rico technology. This is really cool. This has actually been in use for about 40 years, um, and it's primarily used in avalanche disasters. And what you have is a reflector that's usually built in somewhere in your gear, your coat, um, even now in helmets. And the rescue crews can come along with a little backpack and determine your location. It doesn't necessarily guarantee survival, but it certainly increases your chances of them finding you and getting you out more quickly. So I definitely recommend people who are going to a cold winter location to take a look at the clothing and gear that they're purchasing beforehand um, and seeing if that technology is included in it. Uh, if you're going to, say, a more, well, whether it's a city destination or it is a very remote destination, um, there are personal satellite locators called SPOT. Um, I'm a huge fan of these. I've got a couple clients that use them, and I'm actually thinking of implementing these into our um, trips so that we can send home a message to a specific email list that just basically says all clear, all safe each night, just to give everybody back home and a little additional peace of mind. But the spot locator is great. It's about the size of a cell phone. It works off satellite. So again, when you don't have cell coverage, um, you'll still be in contact with people and you can notify your friends, your family, your networks of not just your GPS position, but you can now send little messages through it. So if you want to say um, maybe something's happened, but it's not necessarily an emergency, like you might say, oh, I broke my finger, just to give people back home, again, a heads up that something happened, or there's been a delay on our flights, or something along the lines. The other great part about it is, though, it tracks your position along the way. So it can actually notify officials in case of an emergency. So if you kind of think of, I know this is sort of a horrible thought to consider, but like the collapse in India, you know, there's a lot of people that were missing. And if someone had to find you, this is going to send out a very specific point of where you are. Um, and again, it's also allows you to quickly send a signal back home and let people know that you're either safe or, you know, if it's maybe things are a little bit unsteady, but you're still okay, you can check in with them. Um, and if you want to send up something more specific, you can do that as well. Now, this is sort of a funny thing, and I'm, I'm guilty of this. You know, you check into uh, the airport for your flight and you get there, you're super excited for wherever it is that you're going, and you find out your flight is canceled. Whether it's weather, whether it's a mechanical issue, no matter what the cause is, now you have to go through and be rerouted. And what I'm guilty of is assuming that the person standing behind the counter somehow knows the entire flight map for whatever company it is that I'm flying with. But the bottom line is the person checking you in while they probably have a good idea, they don't know exactly where you live. They don't know the easiest way to get home. They don't know the best way or alternate ways to get you home. There's some like pretty obvious places. Like for instance, if I was flying from say my hometown to Traverse City or from Traverse City to Washington, DC, I have two great options to get me there. I know that the main routes going between those two cities um, go through Detroit and Chicago. Now, if I was checking in in Traverse City and originally my flight was supposed to go through Chicago, 
Um, I'm going to hope that the person in Traverse City knows that my other alternate option is going through Detroit. That doesn't necessarily apply, though, if I'm in Washington, D.C. That person might say, oh, you know, Detroit's our hub and not think about routing me through Chicago, or there's even occasional flights that get me through Minneapolis. And so it's really good for you as a traveler just to kind of take a look at route maps, look at what the major hubs are, look at different ways that you can get home, or at least to a safe place. Even if you're not going home, you're going on a trip, you're flying in through Europe. There's a lot of airports, major airports, very close by in different countries. You know, just because you flew into Brussels, if you needed to get out quickly, you could leave Brussels and fly out of, say, Sweden. And the same goes um, when you're going to Africa or Asia or even South America. Although the distances are much long, larger, farther, you know, take a look at what could be other ways that airlines typically fly to get you home. And that will be really useful if you're kind of stuck. Alternatively, like when I was in the coup again, we ended up, we, the airport was shut down. The borders were shut down. There was a citywide curfew. We couldn't even leave the hotel. And so what we ended up doing was booking a bunch of different flights on different days through different routes, just waiting for the day that the airport might reopen and that we could fly out. Finally, on the day that they did lift the curfew, we raced right to the airport looking for um, any airlines that might be flying and whether even airlines were coming in. And it became really clear that that wasn't an option. We were not going to get out by flying. And so basically what we ended up doing was um, I hired a car and a new, another driver to drive us overland into Burkina Faso, which unfortunately there was another emergency there, but at the time that was a very safe and good option. You know, it took us 13 hours to go from Bamako into Ouagadougou, um, but we made it out. We got there safe and sound. Yes, we've got a really exciting story to tell, but there was a lot of people that were still trapped in Mali for several days because there were not flights going in or out. And there was also a major threat of a pending collapse again. And so if you're going to a certain destination, the other thing you can consider is either taking a look at a map beforehand or even downloading it to your phone if you're bringing that with you. Now, this, again, sounds like a serious no-brainer. Um, uh, it's kind of an embarrassing story on my part. Uh, a couple years ago, I lost my passport. Uh, I sort of think I'm impervious to doing things like this because I'm always in charge of everyone else and taking care of all these things. And how ironic was it that my passport was the one that went missing. But, you know, it was a really silly thing. I was on a flight coming back from the Galapagos. I did something I typically never do. I tucked my passport into um, the seat in front of me. Got up to go to the bathroom. On the way coming back from the bathroom, one of my other guests said, asked me to sit down. We started chatting. And our flight did a stopover in Guayaquil, and this is normal. We expected this. As we're sitting there, all of a sudden the pilot came on and said, sorry, folks, you have to disembark. We're changing planes. Without thinking about it, I just hopped up, started getting everyone together, explaining what was going on, grabbed my carry-on. I never returned back to my seat. As we stepped off the plane, they gave us these transfer cards, so we just walked off and walked onto the new plane. They never checked for IDs. They never checked for tickets, passports, anything. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't until we landed back in Quito that I realized what I had done. And, 
you know, it took me five days to get my passport back from the airline, which was really lucky. So I didn't have to bother going through the embassy and trying to apply for a new passport. But one of the things that really expedited that process um, of getting my passport back is that I had um, taken, I'd scanned all of my passports, credit cards, ID, everything, and I emailed it to myself. So as soon as I got back to the hotel, I could immediately start sending off photos of my passport with my name for people to look for this throughout the airport. I also did it with a taxi company because I thought just in case as a backup, maybe I sent it there or lost it there. And then I also could print out a copy of my passport so I could move around keto very freely. I had identification with me and I didn't have to worry about that. So next time when you're leaving on a trip, don't just make paper copies of your um, documents and ID, actually email them to yourself because if your luggage goes missing, well, there goes your paper document. And don't put your paper document in with your passport. (laughs) This is like sort of a common thing that people do. I'll see they have their little passport um, hip packs that sort of like tuck inside your clothes or they've got the one that comes around their neck. And inside that, they not only have their passport, but all their copies of their documents. Well, if that goes missing, you know, then you're doubly out of luck. Action cameras evolved quickly and are no longer just for recording your adventures. The new SIOI Iris 4G shares experiences as they happen. The connected camera is built specifically for action sports. It's rugged, wearable, and goes places you won't take your smartphone. The best part? Broadcast from the great outdoors with a simple touch. Your friends can watch live or come back for an instant replay. No downloads, no editing, now that's progress. Visit SIOEYE.com and share your next adventure live. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Spring has sprung, but there's still a lot of great skiing in the backcountry, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hand hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. If anyone has flown in the last 
five years. Um, well, actually, no, it's been a little bit longer than that. In the last 10 years, you probably remember checking into the airport and hearing or seeing that it's a code orange. Um, this was a system developed by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security that they wanted to warn the public about a potential for terrorist attacks. They received a lot of um, flack for this because, number one, it seemed like the level never changed from orange to anything else. Occasionally it went up to red, which was severe. But uh, this was a good way to inform the public about this potential. Well, this system has now actually been replaced. So next time you go to the airport, you know, take a look around. If you notice, you're not going to see anything in terms of colors, a system that says that there's a red alert or yellow alert. Um, now their system is the national terrorism advisory and they'll actually issue like a PSA to the general public to provide timely information. And while that's great to pay attention to while we're in the airports, there's a couple things you can do before you actually travel. The U S state department has a worldwide list of travel alerts and warnings. You can go right to their website. Uh, it's, uh, let me think about this statedepartment.gov. Um, right on there, you can click on the travel alerts and warnings. Right now, there's about 40 countries listed. You also have the opportunity to enroll in their smart traveler enrollment program. It's called STEP. And what that does is it just basically notifies the U.S. government of your whereabouts when you're going overseas, which is a great thing because although we sort of like the idea of getting away and no one knows where you are, or you're in an exotic location, again, if something goes wrong, this just gives people a place to start looking for you. It doesn't mean that they're tracking you along the way and paying attention to every hotel you visit, but at least they know you're in the country and that's a good thing for them to have. I think though, all the stuff being said, you know, the world can seem like a pretty scary place right now. There's a lot going on, but you know, take this all with a grain of salt too. Be sure to read the fine print is what I like to say to a lot of people. Um, I had during the Ebola outbreak, there were several people that didn't even want to go to the Africa. Um, you know, I had a trip going to Namibia and everyone was terrified at the time. What am I going to get Ebola? Am I going to get Ebola? And the distance from where Ebola was actually located and the country of Namibia was thousands upon thousands of miles. And so even when there's like a country that has a warning, when you go and look on this in the U S state department, you know, really read the fine print. I like to tell people if you had a trip scheduled to New York city and there are riots in the, in LA, would you cancel your trip? And the answer is no. So it's like getting in your mind that yes, there are certain cities you might avoid, or there might be a certain region that you might avoid. But I can tell you from my experience of being in over 80 countries, even in the midst of when there's been a coup d'etat, um, where the actual action is happening, where things are really unsafe, you know, a lot of times that can be quite a ways away from where you're located. And, and in fact, isn't necessarily a threat. I'm not saying that you should not keep that in mind, um, but something to look at the realities of don't be scared to travel just because there's something happening in one part of a country where the other half of it could be perfectly fine or an adjacent country could be perfectly fine to visit. And then, you know, the last thing I just want to kind of um, <clears throat> remind everyone to do, um, I travel, I've got a, an annual travel insurance policy. 
I keep this for myself because I travel so many times a year. I actually require it on all the tours from guests when they travel with me. They have to have their own personal um, travel insurance policy with a medical evacuation. And I think this is becoming more of an industry standard now, which is great. And it's it's really a necessity. It's not It's not because I'm worried about something happening to you or like you coming back to me for something. It's just, you know, travel is an investment and it has risks and you should really protect it as such. And I'll be honest, it's, I went back and looked at some of the uh, claims I've had to assist people with. And I would say it's probably one out of four trips that I have someone make a claim. And when you're spending say $10,000 on a trip and you lose your job with the type of tours that I do, you've got to cancel quite a ways out for me to give you a full refund. And so this way, you're not missing out on anything if, if you get sick. And actually, the one thing that a lot of people think of is, well, I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to get hurt. I have people cancel regularly because their partner, their friend, a close uh, relative, whatever it is, may have had a medical emergency. And then that prevents them from traveling. And then... Sometimes the claims are just for really basic things that, you know, you lost your luggage. So once we landed in the country, we had to scramble around and get you new clothing or you needed equipment. And this is the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm sure everyone on here has at some point purchased a pretty expensive piece of equipment, be it skis or backpacks. You know, it's nice to know that you're going to get reimbursed for that. A lot of those are about the same cost as your travel insurance policy. And then this way you know you can get it replaced, which is really nice. Um, Same thing goes for delayed flights. You get stuck somewhere. You have to get a night's hotel. Airlines anymore don't necessarily cover a hotel for you, especially in the case of weather, which is a legit thing for them to do because they they can't control weather. But then when you're stuck and you've got to pay for a hotel room that's $250, it's nice to know, it's a good peace of mind that you'll get reimbursed for this. The other thing is, as you are purchasing travel insurance, um, you want to make sure you do that within the first two weeks of your um, paying your deposit or signing up for your trip. And the reason why is that you they now have an option, or a lot of them give you an option to cancel for no reason. Why that's important is that especially going back to the whole issue of terror attacks. If there is a terror attack, that's oftentimes not covered by insurance. Um, Alternatively, if there is a weather event, also ironically not covered by insurance. So think of you're going on a cruise and there's a hurricane and so you don't want to go down that way or the cruise is canceled. If it's a very small boat, you know, your chances of getting your money back are probably pretty low. And this is a great way to that you can just go in and say, hey, look, this trip was canceled. There's this hurricane. I'm canceling it. No questions asked. You get reimbursed right away. And so it's a really, really good way to have yourself covered. So, yeah, I think that's that's about eight good tips for everybody to just kind of keep in mind. And, you know, it's I think what's the expression, you know, prepare for the worst, but hope for the best. You're going to have a lot of exciting adventures. I wish everyone safe travels. And hopefully you can use this information to uh, keep yourself a little more safe and keep in touch with your loved ones. Let them have a little extra peace of mind while you're out as a road warrior. Oh, that's awesome. Jessica, thank you for putting all that together. So just a quick recap. I took some notes here. One is 
have your in case of emergency contact person advised that they are your contact person and make sure that they have your paperwork. Actually, I just want to add one more thing to that too. Okay. Also, make sure you don't list your person that you're traveling with. Right. Um, you know, it's it's it sounds funny, but it's you think, "Oh, well, this is my husband or this is my wife." And so I'll put them down. Well, okay, if you're both on a trip and something happens to say the two of you or you're stuck somewhere, Make sure you list someone back home. Find a good friend, another family member that you can list as your emergency contact. Right. Then you mentioned having an international service plan for your mobile phone so yes. that you can take the phone and use it if you need it. And then you mentioned all the different apps that are available over the phones that allow you to communicate in different ways. When an emergency happens and the network is overloaded, you may not get a call through, but you can almost always get a text to go yes. through. Yep. And sometimes the apps actually work better, which is funny. I've had that where, you know, I couldn't get a call out. My texts were really slow, but yet I could upload something to WhatsApp. Then you said it's a good idea to consider taking a satellite-based location unit, a spot unit that you can use to send short messages back to people that say, hey, I'm okay or I'm over here. And if there is an emergency, then people can find you. They know where you are that way. Yes. Uh, backup travel plan. Do your homework a little bit and know alternate ways to get home again. Good idea. Um, that way you're not at the mercy of the people that are booking flights and what have you. Exactly. Yeah, really good. Um, scan documents. Take paper copies. Don't keep them in the same place as your passport, but also email yourself so you have the electronic copies so that you can send those out if you need to get replacement documents. Great idea. Travel insurance. Another great idea. And let's see. What did I miss? I think we pretty much covered it. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just one more thing that if you're going out of the country, especially if you are going to a country that has uh, an alert or an advisory, to make sure that you enroll with a smart traveler enrollment program with the U.S. State Department. Gotcha. Now, some of our guests have said, you know, you can go to the Department of State and see what's going on, but they'll try to scare you so much you'll never leave your front door. What's your advice for that? Read the fine print. Like I said, if you were flying to, or if you, let's say you had friends flying to, in to visit you and you lived in New York City. You know, again, if there was riots happening in L.A., you certainly wouldn't tell them to cancel their trip. So look at that a little bit more closely. Just because there's a country warning, look at why there's a country warning. Look at where they're talking about. They'll oftentimes list the very specific regions or cities. Um, for instance, if you're going to Uganda, the elections were just happening. So that's been on their list to not... Uh, or their alert is to avoid uh, public gatherings in case that there were riots. Well, if you're going to see the gorillas, the best thing is you fly into the country. You don't even need to go to the capital of Kampala. You can actually go straight to the Bwindi Impenetrable Forest and completely avoid where all the political gatherings are happening. So, you know, just look at it a little bit more closely. The world's not that scary despite those warnings. Hey folks, be sure to swing by 180tac.com to check out the 180 stove and the 180 flame camp stoves. These lightweight, compact, multi-fuel stoves are made in the USA and are designed to be fail-proof on your adventure. 
These stoves offer the flexibility to cook your meal using twigs and sticks found around you or various other fuels like gel fuel, alcohol, charcoal, or even use them as a windbreak and stable cooking surface for remote bottle gas stoves. The ingenious locking tab and slot design ensures your stove is very solid and stable without the use of hinges, rivets, or fasteners that can fail you in the field. Visit 180TACK.com to find your next camp stove. Jessica, can you tell us a story about when things didn't go right when you were traveling and uh, how some of the stuff that you just listed for us came into play to help out? Yeah, absolutely. I've got one pretty funny story. Uh, This was in 2013. I had the president and the board of trustees from the Wildlife Conservation Society, and they wanted to visit their project. It's actually their flagship project for the Bronx Zoo um, of Western lowland gorillas that's located in the northern part of Congo and the southern part of Central African Republic. This is a tri-park border area. It's incredible. Everyone needs to go there at some point in their life. If you really want an Indiana Jones type adventure, it's unbelievable. So I had uh, chartered our flight that would take us into the northern region. And once we landed, we actually would have a short drive then we hop on speedboats and continue upriver to the places that we're visiting. As a backstory, this plane had actually been chartered out of the Democratic Republic of Congo, picked us up in the Republic of Congo, and then took us to the northern portion. And on the tail end would be picking us up in Central African Republic and flying us back to the Republic of Congo. So we go up, we have an amazing trip. We are at the um, their Mimbeli Bai. This is a place where you can see both gorillas and elephants coming out into this clearing. They're eating, pulling out grass, and the elephants are spitting water everywhere. It's, it's fantastic. From there, we continue further northward. We go to the Zongasanga Bai, and this is an area that has probably one of the largest gatherings of forest elephants. At any given time, you can have between 100 and 200 uh, individuals coming in and gathering, congregating. Uh, You get to see forest buffalo. Again, totally magical experience. Well, the day that we were supposed to leave, you know, I get everyone all packed up, pile into our Land Rovers, drive to the airstrip. And we get to the airstrip and I see that the airstrip hasn't been cleared. Um, What they do when it's not in use is they actually lay trees and um, large barrels across the runway so that people just can't land and either for poachers or illegal means, whatever it may be, you actually have to have clearance from the local authorities. Well, I immediately think that the local authorities are trying to get extra money out of me. So I run down to the police station, you know, I'm trying to talk to this guy, what's going on. And surprisingly, the the guy just responded. This is a good thing about having almost a decade of experience in the region. I'm the crazy white lady that they know real well. And the guy says, no, 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 this, this isn't us. He's like, we'll get it cleared right away. And they ran out and cleared the runway. 
So then I'm asking a few of the locals standing around if they've heard or seen a plane. Um, the problem is up there in Ningali is their primary language. So there's, it's can be kind of tough to communicate. So I'm saying, you know, have you seen the plane? Yes. You saw the plane? Yes. Have you not seen the plane? Yes. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> I was kind of struggling with this. And after about 10 minutes, I finally was like, hmm, something, something's funny here. And I try my sat phone, not working. So that's, that's the first thing. Sat phone's not working. Okay, great. That's supposed to be, you know, your last of the last backup plans. Well, they have one little headquarters there that's shared between Wildlife Conservation Society and World Wildlife Fund, and they actually have internet. And if you stand in this one <laughs> place and hold your arm out as high as you can, you can actually get a cell phone signal. So I race down to the headquarters. I send everyone else back to the lodge. I told uh, the lodge owner, his name is Rod Casty, amazing man. I'm like, just take them back, feed them, give them beers. I'm going to start working on this. Well, basically what had happened in the meantime while we're enjoying this amazing vacation, um, the country had collapsed, uh, had been completely overthrown, and we were so far out in the bush we had no word of this. We were about a 14-hour drive just to the capital city on some really, really bumpy roads. And so I call my guy with that I had charted the plane from. And this, this again, became sort of like my second thought. I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy took the money. Now, you know, he's going to come up with some reason why I have to pay him more money to get the plane. I mean, this is, is sort of par for the course of operating in this part of the world. You get kind of used to these things. And so I had said to the guy, you know, what's going on? Why isn't our plane here? You know, you promised me that you'd be here, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I'm, mind you, I'm shouting into my phone that I'm holding over the top of my head. And the, uh, so I'm sure everybody appreciated that site. This is like one of those things that you'd wind up on uh, Reddit or some Buzzfeed of like some lunatic person trying to use their cell phone in the middle of nowhere. Um, Anyway, the the guy says to me, he's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. He said the, the problem is because the country had collapsed that they wouldn't give clearance for our plane that hadn't originated from that country to land at such a remote airstrip. He said the only place that they could land was in Bangui, which is the capital city, which we were going to avoid at all costs at this point. And so I'm like, I don't believe this. I'm like, are you are you serious? Is this what's going on? And so we're going back and forth. And I, I say to him, I'm like, er, he says, we're going to send another plane for you, or we can get you another plane. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. You know, I knew this there was going to be some reason why I was going to have to spend more money. And the guy says, yeah. So about that, he says, uh, we haven't gotten the payment yet for the plane. Well, this was one of the first times I had been working with this company and um, I told them I wasn't going to wire the money until I saw the plane on the ground. Everything was good, you know, had it all checked out. So when we landed in Congo, I go check the plane out, I send the wire transfer and then we fly. Well, my bank back home actually had stopped the wire transfer unbeknownst to me 
Yeah, they were oh, like, no. you know, did you really want to wire close to $100,000 to the Democratic Republic of Congo? Um, and this guy was just, you know, really solid, actually. He completely carried through on everything. And it was one of those moments where, I, you know, I had to really backtrack and apologize. I said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry and what have you. Um, but he was he was really cool about it, which was great. That being said, um Again, because they were located out of the DRC, they couldn't really do anything to get us out of there. So ultimately what ended up happening was I had to then contact everyone I knew in Central African Republic um, to get a plane out of the capital of Bangui to come down, pick us up, and then fly us back to Congo. And, uh, you know, that took, you know, three or four hours, but it was the fact that we managed to do it and got everyone out super safe, you know, most of the guests were three or four beers deep. So they thought it was a pretty exciting adventure. I was, you know, chartering (laughs) a a plane on the fly. Um, But, you know, knowing that there are other ways to get in and out of the country was really key. And obviously again, having my cell phone. Um, And then that being said, talking about having the different apps on your cell phone, the the pilot that I ultimately ended up contacting out of Bangui, how I could call with him was through Skype, you know, not over the regular uh, mobile line. And um, I'm not sure if you've ever seen The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And there's this scene where he runs and jumps into a helicopter to fly. I think he's in Alaska. And the helicopter pilot takes a little flask out of his pocket I think, or I remember he's like fairly intoxicated at this point, the helicopter pilot and the guy takes off. And when I watched that whole movie, the secret life of Walter Mitty, all my friends were rolling their eyes going, Oh God, like this ever happens in real life. And I sort of sat there silently like, Oh, it does. Um, there was multiple moments <laughs> in that movie. I was like, this is not beyond my imagination at all. And so when I called the pilot on Skype, it was the funniest thing. Cause he answers and he has this, giant beer belly and he's sitting there shirtless and he's got a drink in front of him and I don't know what he was thinking but he answered Skype with the camera on so this is the first thing I see and Rod who's standing right next to me happened to know the guy as well and he just goes turn your camera off you old fart you know I've got this like image of this guy just like locked in my mind well, the following day, because it was getting really late at night at this point, too. That was the other thing. You know, you can't land on an airstrip at in the evening. So he would be picking us up the following morning. And, uh, you know, part of me was like, oh, gosh, I can just see this guy, like, touching down and the plane sort of bumping across the the runway. And then we all hop in the plane and watch him, like, pull a flask out and take a little toke and say something like, it's just to steady my nerves or something of the sort. But... You know, he was a very solid guy. He's, we're still in contact. He, he did a great job and, you know, didn't show up with the flask, which was almost in a sense disappointing just because it would have made a really great story. But um, there there was the three things I talked about right there, you know, having an international plan for my mobile and simply having my mobile with me, you know, knowing about other apps that I can use and again, knowing extra routes to get us out of there. Those three things were were key to get us out of that country. You know, I'm going to add something to your list, Jessica, which I know is so obvious for you, but I'm going to say it anyway. For people that haven't traveled a lot, traveling internationally especially is very complex. 
there are a lot of factors that have to align for everything to go the way that people expect things to go. So I just say it this way: when you're traveling, understand it's an adventure. Learn to roll with the punches. Don't expect everything to go the way that the itinerary says. Instead, say what happens along the way as part of the experience. And I think that attitude adjustment can make it a lot more fun. Oh, absolutely. I think the expression is getting there is half the adventure. And, you know, I can tell you of the trips that I've been on, it's even when I was in the coup d'etat, oh my gosh, the number of people that said to me afterwards, you know, repeat clients, I said, oh, I wish I was there with you, you know, because it, it, it was an exciting thing to have gone through it. It was, you know, fortunately everyone came out fine and great, but you know, when things don't go right, that can be some of the best stories and best adventures that you'll have for the rest of your life, especially if you can smile and laugh through them. Um, you know, you'll have that with you. Till the day you die, it'll be a fun story you can tell over cocktails, dinner, you name it. Yeah, that's fun. Well, Jessica, thank you very much for coming on the show today and giving us that little bit of reassurance that there are things we can do to travel safely, even in scary times, and that the world is not such a scary place. Absolutely. Thanks for having me again. Oh, you bet. And for all of our listeners out there, as always, get out there and have some fun. Give Jessica a call. You know, Jessica, we need to say again your website so people can find you. It's uh, wantexpeditions.com, right? Yeah, wantexpeditions.com. So the want stands for wildlife and nature travel. We also have cultural trips, but go to wantexpeditions.com. Very cool. All right, so give Jessica a call and schedule one of these trips so you can have some amazing experiences out there in the big wide world. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks. Take care. You too. You too. 